Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. For most of us, Thursday is just a day to muddle through to get to Friday or Friday, as some of us know it, right? But the Thursday of Jesus' final week was much more significant. And it had a flurry of activity and busyness. Everything recorded in Scripture indicates it was perhaps the busiest day of the week for Jesus, with the focus primarily on the evening's activities. It begins with his Last Supper with his disciples. It moves to the Garden of Gethsemane, and his arrest. And then it culminates with the interrogation and condemnation by the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin. Jesus' Thursday was anything, anything but mundane. Think about your day last Thursday. As busy as it may have seemed, would you really want it any other way? Here's what scripture relates to us about Jesus' Thursday. From Mark 14, 53 to 65. Jesus before the Sanhedrin. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law. They all came together. Peter followed him in a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will be built up again, not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest... Oh, excuse me, folks. Technical difficulty. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death, and then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, 
prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. There is an adage that states, never corner an injured animal. And the reason being is, is if you corner an animal that is injured, their first instinct is to protect themselves against anything that appears to be a threat. So even if your intent is to help, more than likely that creature is going to see you as someone who is going to attack or threaten their very being. And so they will do everything they can to protect themselves. But this is not only true for animals, it's true for human beings. Especially, I have witnessed this when it comes to mothers. Mothers, perhaps you've heard the expression of a mother bear, the idea that a mother will protect her young. I've talked to mothers who say, you know, I, I don't like it when people come after me, but when they come after my children, there's almost this sense of where, you know, that fur, not on the women, but on that bear will kind of fluff out, and it's like that protective mode against any possibility of attack. But the reality is, is this willingness to protect and defend ourselves is not only for other people, but it's also for what we do when it comes to our own self. Innately within us, instinctual within us, is that when we feel attacked, either physically or non-physically, we will defend ourselves. Yes, there is the fight or flight, and when we can, we will run. Not only literally, but figuratively. But when pushed hard enough, the vast majority of us will protect ourselves. This becomes a challenge for us individually because a lot of times when we feel that we are being threatened by another person, not necessarily physically, but perhaps verbally, we want to defend ourselves. We need to protect our, ourselves. And if we feel the attack is undeserved, unwarranted, unmerited, and it's false, then we really get into a position where we want to just dig in and protect ourselves and defend ourselves. Now, I would imagine that the majority of you who have partners in your life, this never happens between the two of you. How often I've noticed it occur between my wife and I. My wife will say something, and depending upon her tone of voice, the word choice that she's made, I can get in a very defensive posture. I don't like the idea of being accused. And especially if she says I said something that in my mind I never said. And I'll argue that point. And I'll argue that point. And I'll argue that point. I will continue to defend myself because somehow I feel that who I am as a person needs to be defended. I need to justify myself, stand up for myself, because if I don't stand up for myself, who's going to stand up for me? 
And so as human beings, when someone comes at us with verbal attacks that we feel are unmerited, that they are false, our natural instinct is to defend ourselves. To somehow excuse our behavior, justify our behavior, it doesn't matter. We like this idea of being able to say, no, you can't treat me this way. You can't speak of me this way. It's almost like we have this part of us I don't know if you want to call it our character, our name, our honor, our reputation that needs to be protected. But like an onion, I think if you pulled all the different pieces away, what we really realize what's happening is that we feel threatened. Emotionally, we have been triggered by another person. And when we feel that trigger, we feel the need to protect ourselves. Why? Because ultimately, we want to be accepted. You see, if someone comes at us with false accusations, or what we consider to be false accusations, we feel that somehow that makes us look a little less than. Not the quality of person, perhaps, that we believe ourselves to be. So we have this need to reestablish ourselves, to once again put ourselves back at that place where we're most comfortable. Why? Because we want to be accepted. We want to belong. We want to feel that we matter. And so we'll take and do whatever we need to make ourselves feel that way. And we do that most likely by defending ourselves. What is amazing here, folks, is that the person who is accusing us, who's coming at us, they kind of hope you'll defend yourself. Especially if it's done intentionally. Because what it does is it shifts the focus from them to you. Their false accusations, that isn't as important now because you're busy defending yourself. And if they can wear you down enough, they got you where they want you. It's almost as futile as if you were in a small little boat out on a lake and it happened to spring a hole in it. And you're fortunate enough, perhaps, to have a little bucket. And so as the, as the water comes in, you take your bucket and you keep throwing water out. So in some ways, imagine that's your argument. You're arguing with this person. And every time you throw another bucket of water out, you're making another point, reestablishing yourself. That's your goal. But I don't care how long you continue to, to bail out that little boat. Guess what? Water's going to keep coming in. And eventually, you're going to get tired. And the same thing happens when we try to defend ourselves to another human being. We get tired. We get worn down. And either we get futile enough and mad enough that we walk away and ruin a relationship, or we give up. 
One author said the following about the futile efforts of defending ourselves. Dave Ursulo says, defending yourself or defending what is being criticized about you only proves to others that something about you needs defending. When you mount a long-winded, logically sound case in your defense, the defense reveals something about you and your lifestyle that it ought to be defended. So he says the following, do not defend yourself. Never defend yourself. For in the end, your defense only corroborates what, someone, what something ought to be defended. So what then are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be like this punching bag and we let people come at us? Well, some individuals say the following. They offer the following advice when we are being attacked by another person. They will say, when being attacked, all you have to do is look at them and say, this is not true, and you know it's not true. And if they come back at you again, they would say, give the same response. This isn't true, and you know it's not true. That's one way we can deal with the possibility of when we're being attacked. But there's another possibility. And that the possibility is found in Jesus' reaction when he was before the high priest. Now, when you look at this text in Mark chapter 14, and when you read it, you begin to realize, if you stop and really ponder it, that more than likely this whole passage was created by the writer. I mean, just as few reasons why that is true, that this, what we are reading here, what Janelle just read for us, is not factual. It's not a historical account. Number one, none of Jesus' followers were with him when he was before the high priest. None of them. So how did they know what happened? I mean, what we do know, what more than likely happened, is that Jesus was arrested and he was taken before the high priest. More than likely, that's what we know. But everything beyond that is the writer filling in the gaps for us, painting a picture, if you would. Another reason that scholars believe this is because when you consider and you read Mark and then you read Matthew and you read Luke and then you read John, you begin to realize that they all have different accounts on what happened. So they can't all be right. So if it's not true, if it's not historically accurate what we're reading there in the text, should we completely ignore it? I would say no. In fact, if anything, I would say, then you really ought to pay attention. Because what the writer does tell you is really important. And everything they add in there, everything they give you, that information is for a purpose. If you would, 
these ancients, when they were writing, to me, re reminds me a lot of Twitter and tweeting. It used to be that tweets were very limited. So you had to be very careful because they only gave you a certain amount of space that you could use. Well, the ancients, when it came to writing a parchment, a pen, those were very valuable and scarce. So you were careful in what you used and what you wrote. And so words matter. And what I find amazing about this story in Mark chapter 14 is how Jesus responded to those who were criticizing him. The writer wants us to understand the situation that Jesus is in in verse 55 when the writer says the following. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying, and then they tell you what they were trying to do. Here it is. Number one, to obtain testimony against Jesus. They were out hunting for witnesses who could say something about Jesus. The challenge, though, is that according to Jewish law, which they would have been under, because this was a religious trial that was going on, according to religious law, you needed two witnesses who could agree with each other. The text says that, and they were not finding any. They couldn't find two people who would agree with each other. And the whole reason they were doing this is very simple. They wanted to put Jesus to death. Verse 55, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. No luck. Now again, I think sometimes we can take Jesus and make him into this holier-than-thou, beyond-human realm. But imagine yourself being in a room with people with power and people that you don't even know stand up and start saying things about you, about your character, about your actions, about your words, and say things that you find to be offensive, that attack the core of the essence of who you are. Again, the natural instinct is come back and say, no, let me defend myself. But the amazing thing is, Jesus offers an alternative. It says in the text that Jesus was silent. He didn't say a word. Now, everything in my character would go against that. Because if I don't speak up, doesn't that make me look guilty? If I don't speak up, who's going to? And understand, in this setting, according to this story, Jesus saying nothing could lead to his death. 
Now, let's be honest, if Jesus had defended himself, he could have still died, probably would have still died. And we learn something right there. The futility of defending ourselves, you're not going to, more than likely, you're not going to change anyone's mind. You're just going to exacerbate the situation. And Jesus chose to remain silent. How do you do that? I don't know about you, but in those situations where I have found myself being attacked by other people, and I remain silent, it is the most difficult thing to experience. Every part of me wants to react, and I feel like my life is out of control. I have no control. Every, all the controls out here. And I think perhaps what Jesus understood is very simple, but very powerful to apply in our lives. Trust. Perhaps you want to say that Jesus trusted in God. Believe that God had control of this situation. For those of you who are not comfortable with that, perhaps the idea that Jesus trusted life. That things would unfold, things would occur in the way they were meant to. And in the midst of not having control, maybe that is where we find our solace. And Jesus, they say, remained silent. Just think about that. The writer is creating this story. And for me, that's his punchline. And Jesus remained silent. That's a hard one. That's hard to do. Because you have to allow your character. You have to be so comfortable with who you are as a person that when that is challenged, it doesn't shake you. You have to be so comfortable in your own skin an awareness of your strengths and your weaknesses, that when you are attacked falsely, you are able to remain strong and firm because you know who you are and you trust either in God or in life to unfold as it will. Another author offers us the following. Her name is Brooke Hampton, and she says the following. Stop defending yourself. People are scared of everything and anything that's different. You want to hear that again? People are scared of everything and anything that's different. I, I, when I read that, it was like, 
lights went on. Ding, ding, ding. You know, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus was offering something that was different. Jesus acted and spoke in a way that was different. And people were uncomfortable with that. The writer continues and she says, just do what you do and let it be. You want to be happy in life? then learn how to be okay with being misunderstood. Wow. That's worth reading again. You want to be happy in life? Then learn how to be okay with being misunderstood. It happens. More than likely, it may happen to you this week. So you need to decide and make an intentional decision how you're going to respond. You can defend yourself, or you can learn something from the life of Jesus and choose to be silent and let things play out the way they will. And more than likely, they were going to play out that way even if you defended yourself. May you find a comfort in being yourself, a self that is always growing and maturing and developing, yes, but a self that can stand up and say, you know what, sometimes I'm going to be misunderstood, and I guess I'm going to have to live with that. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society